Vintage brand is the story of American sporting culture, combining our rich history, traditions, rituals, and pageantry. Weaving together more than a century of American sports memories and images, it defines what tradition really means. Come experience the history and rituals. Remember and honor the legends. Feel the passion and pageantry of the past. Welcome to the greatest collection of American sports history and images, all reproduced on fan apparel and merchandise. Welcome to Vintage Brand. Welcome everyone to our latest episode of The Games People Play with Bernie Corbett. I remain Bernie Corbett this week as I was last week and God willing next week. And uh, very pleased here. It's, uh, it's baseball time. And uh, I'm going to venture to say that this man, uh, short of a better agent, should be Mr. Baseball. I mean, heck, the other guy, Bob Euchre, hit 200. Uh, this guy... <laughs> This guy was a legitimate player for about 18 years in the major leagues. And then, oh, by the way, uh, enjoyed a broadcasting career for decades. And, uh, well, I guess a better agent, maybe a couple of Tonight Show performances. And uh, Tom Pachurik might have been the guy that we know as Mr. Baseball. I'm just going to call him Mr. Baseball. He's my Mr. Baseball. And we're very pleased that we have him as our guest on the games people play this week. Wimpy, welcome. Great to have you with us. Well, thank you so much, Bernie. It's great to be here. But to be mentioned in the same sentence as Bob Euchre is, is, is too stunning for me because Euchre is one of the greatest um, personalities of all time that ever played big. He didn't even have to get a hit to be great. And his Hall of Fame speech, I think, is one of the greatest speeches I've ever heard in my life. Right off the cuff, funny as heck, and I mean... Just absolutely brilliant, as he was in that show of his, Mr. Belvedere for many years, and we all know him, him in those light commercials, which were fantastic. It, it, indeed, and of course, uh, from Major League, the Harry Doyle, just a bit outside. Yes. Yeah. It, it, yeah. Well, you hit, you out hit him by 82 points, so uh, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna give my vote uh, to uh, to Todd Pachurik uh, here today, and uh, it's gonna be great to uh, to to uh, just embark on this ride uh, with Tom. Uh, about his uh, life and times. Uh, Tom, as uh, as we do here in the games people play, we go back to the beginning, and uh, your early years uh, began in uh, Detroit, Michigan, on the east side in Hamtramck neighborhood, uh, one of eight children. And uh, in, I guess, uh, from my research and reports, uh, a rather overcrowded three-bedroom house with uh, with, with uh, the uh, the eight kids and, and uh, mom and dad. And uh, it was... Uh, by all indications, uh, a, a bit of a uh, a bit of a tough upbringing for uh, for you uh, and your family uh, in, in in that neighborhood. Uh, th- things were pretty tight for you guys growing up. Well, it was Bernie, but it was a great incentive. Not I don't want to say I wanted to get out of there, but yeah, I wanted to move on to better things. And uh, you know, uh, it, it wasn't easy growing up there, but my dad was a great inspiration for me. When I came home one day after I got fired from my job on four days at Kowalski Sausage, that's a story for another day, he got me a job on the assembly line at Plymouth where he worked, and that gave me all the incentive in the world to play football at the University of Houston and hopefully graduate to better things, which turned out to be professional baseball. But I think growing up in that atmosphere with all the brothers and sisters, not having a whole lot was great for me because of the fact that it, it impacted my life so much and that I got to meet uh, people like Lasorda and, uh, and, and, and people like that, that that had that same background 
and I was able to succeed at some level because of the fact that I grew up in, in, the, in the situation that, that we lived in in Detroit, or Hamtramck, as you put it. Last family in the neighborhood maybe to get a TV. Do you remember what you first watched <laughs> when, you, when, when you were able to finally turn it on? Were you, you remember maybe your first sports image that you saw or the first game that you saw on the TV? It was a little bit late in the game for your family. Oh, it was. I think we get used to get that Saturday afternoon baseball, wasn't it? The Joe and the Tony Kubek and the, yeah, game of the week. Yep. Game of the week, I think was. Well, no, it was even back to Dizzy Dean, I think. Oh, okay. Prior to that, Kurt Gowdy and yep. I'm a lot older than than most people, and this was. Uh, you know, I signed with the Dodgers in 1968, and uh, so you know that was in the 50s, I think, when we got our first TV. <laughs> TV, what was that? You know, that was pretty exciting to have something like that. But uh, uh, it's great. All my all my siblings are still alive, and it's great. We communicate almost daily too. So it's uh, it, it it is a great situation, and people that haven't grown up in a big family really can't appreciate that. That's right, a big family, and uh, well, it's an athletic family to say the least. Uh, three brothers, all major league baseball players. Uh, your younger brother Jim uh, got to play. For Milwaukee in 1987, then went on to play in Japan. Uh, your older brother John, who apparently had more scholarship offers, we're going to talk about the University of Houston here in a couple of minutes, but uh, uh, he was much sought after uh, coming out of high school uh, for his uh, exploits uh, to be a college athlete, and uh, he is uh, the answer to, I think, one of the, the all-time great trivia questions for uh, his one and only game on the last day of the 1963 season for the Houston Colt 45s. I guess if you want to go out on top, Brother John went out on top. You can't do it any better than he did. Isn't that amazing? He went three for three, three, RB, three RBIs, three runs scored, and a couple walks to go along with it. But he had a spinal fusion. He was playing that game in great pain. He had a spinal fusion after the game. And in 1963, mm. really didn't know what they were doing as far as that was concerned. So he was very stiff and wasn't able to return to the big league. But he made his debut with guys like Rusty Staub, Jimmy mm. Wynn, Joe Morgan, they all played their first game, that game, and my brother was the star of it. I believe John Bateman was uh, on that team, Sonny Jackson, and a number of other guys who had great major league careers. But my brother did have that. Ironically, though, Bernie, Dylan Cease of the White Sox got three at-bats in his first major league game as a pitcher in a... in a National League ballpark, and he went three for three. So he's now currently tied with my brother <laughs> at three for three. He's got to get a couple more at bats so he can get off that record. <laughs> yeah, John held it. Uh, he was the one and only for uh, for a long time. Uh, you know, from all the way back to 1963. And uh, well, you brought it up, and I had it in my notes here. And I think the statute of limitations has passed. But the Kowalski Sausage Factory uh, got in an incident with a coworker there, and. Uh, Unfortunately, the owner was watching it, uh, so uh, that was uh, an early exit from the sausage business. Right. I asked, who the heck was this guy yelling at me? And he says, his name is Kowalski. That's Stanley Kowalski. He owns this place. I said, well, I guess I'm out of here. My dad fixed me. He got me a job on the assembly line, and that made up for it. It was a lot tougher than working at Kowalski, believe me. <laughs> and uh, your quote there about the uh, the Plymouth assembly plant where your dad worked was, I'll take two-a-day practices anytime over what I just went through here this summer. Absolutely. And that was in Houston, Texas, which was uh, like being in hell, I guess. Mm. Uh, it is the closest thing to it from a temperature standpoint in August and September. And that was it was worth it to get out of the factory. Mm. 
Well, you know, my, I had a similar epiphany at a young age, uh, Tom. Uh, my dad was an attorney. One of his clients that he was also a close friend, uh, he had a, a fiber optics uh, uh, outlet uh, factory, if you will. And I had a summer job there and I was uh, soldering and, and working on kind of an assembly line. And I, I think I made the same vow that you made at that Plymouth factory. I hope that I, I hope I don't have to go back. Fortunately, I didn't. And fortunately, you didn't. <laughs> I know. You know, one of the great lines of all timers like Tommy Lasorda, who I, I'm still grieving his loss, was the greatest mentor that anybody could ever have. And, you know, and if ever you were complaining in the hot sun or something, just think of this thing. You look, Think of those coal miners in mm. Pennsylvania and West Virginia. You don't think they'd like to trade places with you right now? They're playing baseball. You should be out here having fun. And, uh, and I always took that uh, to heart when Tommy gave <laughs> Whether he was telling the truth or not. <laughs> Listen to be learned. Once again, I, I quote my father, late attorney Mitchell Corbett. He said, Burn, hey, it, you know, don't complain. It beats digging ditches because he used to dig ditches. He worked construction before he went to law school. So there you go. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Life, life lessons. Uh, you were uh, starred in, at uh, St. Ladislaus, was the, uh, the parish school that you went to where you were a, uh, a star athlete there. And, uh, and as you mentioned, uh, about the University of Houston opportunity, uh, something that we don't see as much now, but uh, guys could pursue actually two sports going on at the college, and you excelled in both baseball and football. Well, I was lucky to play for the great Bill Yeoman, who just recently passed away, too, uh, this year. Coach Yeoman, was, I believe, was 93 years old, but he gave us, when we, tra when I actually started... Well, it's not at University of Detroit, that's right. And they dropped football... My uh, freshman year, we were so good, and uh, <laughs> I transferred to Houston, and he gave us an option if we could uh, to play baseball. If we could start on the baseball team, we didn't have to go through spring football. Mm. And ooh, the whole team, uh, all the football team, tried out, and we eventually went to the College World Series in 1967 and lost in the final game uh, to Arizona State with virtually a team full of uh, football players. So it made it fun. You know, that was really an, a great experience at Houston, too, because a lot of kids aren't able to play two sports nowadays in college or weren't even back then. Hey, you mentioned about that. Uh, that was uh, a, a signature season for you and for the University of Houston Cougars, 1967 Omaha and uh, the College World Series, uh, losing the final to Arizona State. Uh, you had You had quite a year, though, overall. Uh, quoted, uh, I slugged about a thousand percent. NCAA record uh, was uh, was your achievement there. You made the all tournament team, and uh, most importantly for your accomplishments your junior year, it gave you an exposure to a number of uh, professional baseball scouts. Well, I think it did, yeah. And uh, you know, it, it's interesting too, Bernie, because uh, I think uh, uh, if, if I had been able to sign after my junior year, it might have been a different story. Uh, and so, uh, you know, coming back, you know, back then it really wasn't an option to, uh, to, to sign after your junior, junior year as kids have today. But uh, uh, I, I was fortunate. You know, I got drafted by the Dolphins, and they made me an offer that I could refuse. <laughs> right. Originally, <laughs> also, you can't refuse. And I, I refused it. Yeah, and I, I signed a $20,000 bonus with the Dodgers in 1968. So that's... Uh, so I thought I was in high cotton right there. Hmm. And uh, your football accomplishments, uh, not to be discounted, 
Uh, you're a junior year in football, uh, playing the defensive backfield. You had six picks, and uh, you're honor, honorable mention All-American for uh, the great uh, Bill Yeoman at, at Houston. So uh, thus uh, being drafted uh, eighth round by the Dolphins and uh, drafted in the fifth round by the Dodgers. And uh, that was after uh, some unfortunate injury situations that uh, that hampered your your, uh, your senior year. You were kind of BB uh, King, you know, if, if uh, not for bad luck, no luck at all with a couple of the injuries that you suffered there, junior to senior year. Well, you know, it is amazing. You know, sometimes that affects you. And you it was a fluke injury, and uh, you know, it just kind of uh, uh, persisted throughout the year, where you never really felt like you were a hundred percent. But you know. That's the way sports is. And, you know, you look at the disabled list now and uh, mm. or the injury list in baseball, and it's unbelievable how big, strong guys can be getting hurt and dropping like flies every day. You ended up, uh, what, uh, you had a little uh, mishap there with uh, running into a wall and, and uh, had a, a leg injury, and then you, you went from your bad leg, and then you had a problem with the good leg, so pretty soon you were just, uh, you, were, you were more incapacitated. In more ways than more. <laughs> That's right. We're only talking physically here, Tom. I issued that disclaimer. <laughs> yeah, I got hit that a few times. <laughs> and, and I got to ask you about the uh, from the, the the football career at Houston. Uh, the hit on the highlight reel. I recognize the name of the guy involved because Edgar Chandler went on to become an, an NFL linebacker. I remember him playing for the Patriots, played for the Bills, but. Uh, I guess it looked a lot better in film than it actually uh, was to you at the time. There was a little bit more of a fear factor, I guess, involved to why you look so so fearsome on the field. <laughs> well, Edgar, this was after the play. Edgar uh, was coming after me to keep blocking me. This is against the University of Georgia. And I, he stumbled. And I took my opportunity to cold cock and give him a cheap shot. And I, it looked like I knocked him out. <laughs> and I really did because he would have killed me. And it, it, it was a straight-on situation. But they and in the in the film the next day they said, Boy, I must really be a badass. I can knock down Edgar Chandler, an all American. Gonna be a great pro someday. But I avoided him needless to say the rest of that right. game. Exactly for, for uh, your own uh, personal safety and uh, and and I'm always fascinated when guys uh, get the uh, get the choice, if you will, if they're drafted in multiple sports and the story that uh, that, that comes to mind, you know, being a Boston guy and and how popular the hockey is in Boston, uh, Richie Hebner, uh, so goes the uh, the story, and I hope it's true. I've been telling it for years. I've had people tell me for years. He was drafted by the Pittsburgh Pirates, obviously, the Boston Bruins, his hometown hockey team at the time, and a hockey hotbed of Boston. And uh, he went to his coach, uh, his hockey coach, what do I do? And he said, what do you mean, what do you do? If you play baseball, you never have to work a day in your life. Don't play hockey. I'll be darned. Digger, wasn't he? he was a ditch digger. That's right. Yes, very specific uh, task that he had there, digging the ditches at the graveyard. You know. You know what's interesting too, Bernie? He was a great low ball hitter, which tells me he had a great slap shot. Yeah. Oh yeah. He was. He was one of the you know, the high school hockey legends. That uh, I guess you you practice the same philosophy. Football, the offer you could refuse. The baseball offer from the Dodgers. Uh, that uh, came through after being drafted in the fifth round. I think you got a $20,000 bonus to sign with the Dodgers. And uh, you were not only part of a Dodger draft class in 1968, but you were part of, it is acknowledged, as the best draft class ever in the history of the baseball amateur draft, which goes back to 1965. An amazing 11 players, 11, 
from that draft class played Major League Baseball. And when we take a look at that list, a number of them played rather well, including yourself. Well, you know, it really is true. And, you know, the best player in that draft, too, was Bobby Valentine. And Bobby would have been great yeah. had he not broken his leg. You know, he had a compound fracture when he was playing with the Angels a little bit later, a few years later. But Bobby, Billy Buckner, Garvey, Sandy Vance was on that team, you know, and uh, uh, Ron Say was in the draft. Joe Ferguson, I think, believe Davey Lopes was there, too. Davey Lopes, and yep. Jeff Zahn, yep. Jeff Zahn, yeah. I mean, these are guys that played 10 years plus, and a lot of guys were, you know, uh, potential, uh, you know, Hall of Fame guys. I think Billy Buckner, and, you know, you growing up in Boston, I'm sure – uh, have a lot of uh, knowledge about this, but Buck was one of the truly great hitters oh. of all time, and I think he doesn't get considered enough yep. for Hall of Fame recognition. But he's just re- re- you know renowned for that one hoop oh. that made in the '86 World Series. So 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 unfortunate, so tragic, and uh, uh, all told, uh, six future All Stars, including yourself, uh, representing 23 All Star appearances, and most importantly became the core group uh, for the Dodger organization that from 1974 to 81 would win four National League pennants and the 1981 World Series. And if you want to throw the now popular war out there, the wins above replacement, that group was 235.6. Here I am using decimal points. I'm not a math guy. Uh, war, 235.6. So it was a pretty good haul for Al Campanis and the Dodger organization. Uh, amazing uh, that you came in with, with with that group, Tom. Well, yeah, it was really uh, it was really fun, and uh, you know, I wish I would have say, could say that I made my mark with the Dodgers, but uh, yeah, you know, I was the 25th guy on the team my rookie year after spending five years in the minor leagues, and I always forget, I always remember the great ovation I used to get, <laughs> fifty thousand people standing and roaring in approval when Vince Scully would announce, "Now batting for sure." <laughs> batting four. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's when you know you loved. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you, you, you came to the, the organization. A lot uh, is, is made about the Dodgers. I mean, there's, obviously, there was a, a very famous book, which has had several editions and pretty well circulated. But thinking back to being drafted to the Dodgers and the Dodger way and the Dodger organization. I mean, your your manager right out of the gate was Tommy Lasorda uh, in the minor leagues. Your roommate was Bobby Valentine there when you first got to pro ball. But when you think Dodger way, Tom, what do you think about in terms of the organization, the culture, the overall mentality, the mindset about about uh, what they're all about? Well, it starts with Tommy. Starts with Lasorda. You know, I had him in rookie ball in Ogden, Utah. We had Billy Buckner and we had Starve and and, and Bobby were, were all on the team. But he made baseball fun. He made baseball. Uh, you, you played baseball. You don't work baseball, and that's the way his <laughs> attitude was. And we did something every day that would uh, uh, make our interest a little bit keener. We'd show up at the ballpark early in the morning and play simulated games, <laughs> home run derby, things like that. And then after the games, we'd go bowling as a team. <laughs> I mean, we did some things that you, you, you think, well, this is unbelievable. <laughs> but it would all stand from Tommy. And, you know, the Dodgers were great. and They spend, you know, a lot of time with the, the, the fundamentals of the game. But Tommy made the game so much more fun than, than everybody else. And he was the greatest motivator. I'll tell you the story. 
we were having trouble in 1972 in Albuquerque. We lost four games in a row, and we were the toughest team was coming in to play us. He called us in. We were wondering, how is he going to motivate us this time? He says, you know, you guys are walking around with the world on your shoulders. You know, you're not having any fun. You lost four games in a row, and that's nothing. People outside of Albuquerque don't even know who you are. Hmm. Did you know that 1927 New York Yankees, the team with Tony Lazari, Babe Ruth, Blue Gehrig, the team voted as the greatest team in the history of baseball, lost seven games in a row? So why don't you go out there, have fun, and think of the 27 Yankees. We said, golly, we went out there, we beat the crap out of that team, won 15 games in a row, won the <laughs> Coast League championships, and then I got called up to the Dodgers in September, yep. and I ran into Tommy at Dodger Stadium. I said, Tommy, something's been bothering me for months now. And he says, what's that? I said, the 27 Yankees really lose seven games in a row. And he said, I how would I know? I wasn't even born yet. Two <laughs> <laughs> guys that night. That's a motivator. <laughs> yeah, the greatest, the greatest. You really have to. Tremendous. You want to motivate your kids, lie to them. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and uh, God bless them. There's just no one will ever, uh, ever replace them. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, uh, you know, that song, the Sinatra song always comes to mind, My Way. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I played it, unfortunately, the day Tommy passed, just so I, you know, just to, to enkindle the, you know, the, the feelings that I had about Tommy, I just broke out crying because it just, uh, it was his way. And, you know, the Dodger way was Tommy's way, and he infused that with us. And uh, unfortunately, I only spent eight years in the organization. I never got to play for Tommy in the major league level, mm. but we still kept in contact until, uh, you know, and for, for over 50 years. Mm. And, you know, that's what I said when I signed. I said, man, this baseball is fun. Every, Lasorda was the first guy I met uh, when I uh, signed professionally, and I said, everybody must be like Tom. Right. It's been over 50 years now, and I'm still waiting for the second coming of Tommy Lasorda. Still, still, still trying to find another one. And uh, yeah. you, you, you mentioned about uh, uh, Bobby Valentine. Was He was the prospect. I mean, he was the can't-miss kid, the, the much ballyhooed and uh, the injury issue. But uh, he was your, your first roommate. Uh, Bobby coming out of Stanford, Connecticut at the time. Uh, memories about uh, the maybe future mayor of Stanford, Connecticut. Uh, you think back to Bobby Valentine and your experiences or your first uh, recognition of him. I'll tell you what, you are right on top of things, Barry. You got, he's going to win that thing, too, uh, mayor of Stanford. Uh, he, yeah, he was, uh, he was one of those guys that, you know, he was a natural-born leader. And Lasorda recognized that immediately, and he made him into a shortstop from a center fielder. I mean, his arm in center field was as good as Clemente. It, it was unbelievable how he could throw a baseball. And he was faster than everybody else, and, uh, and he was going to learn to hit as good as anybody else, too. And, uh, you know, to this day, Bobby remains, remains my best friend. We just spoke uh, yesterday, as a matter of fact. And... Uh, just a dynamic guy who's going to succeed at every level. I think. I think that if Tommy had one regret, is that Bobby never got to manage the Dodgers. But he had yeah. a great career with the Mets, and you know, I got to even play for Bobby when I was with the Texas. Texas, Rangers. yeah. Was, I'm three years older than he is. <laughs> so, uh, you know, <laughs> and, uh, just amazing personality. I mean, you know, with the mustache hiding in the dugout. You know, and, and things like that. Uh, and, you know, and then when 9-11 hit, he was the first guy 
at Shea Stadium, and I don't know if he gets enough recognition for this, but all the supplies that were coming in to uh, to LaGuardia were, were transferred through Shea Stadium, and Bobby was there for hours and hours every day, 12, 14 hours a day, helping in, in that capacity, too. So he's got a big heart, too. And love him or hate him, I'll tell you what, you know, you, you really do have to respect him, too, for all the things that he has, he has done. Well, maybe you'll get uh, a spot in the uh, cabinet in Stanford. You might have to move uh, up uh, from the south back uh, up north again. <laughs> yeah, I'll be right I don't think so. I'm not a very good politician. <laughs> There's no job. There's no job that could lawyer you. It's kind of like the Dolphins again. Yeah, right. Uh, you, you know, you being from Boston, of course, Bobby had that bad experience with the Red Sox too. So you know, that's a lot yeah. of. Uh, you know, things going on that, you know, didn't quite go the way they were scheduled to go. Hmm. You, some of the guys that uh, you played with, uh, you mentioned, you know, Charlie Havronce, Bill Buckner, uh, Davey Lopes, uh, Steve Garvey. You mentioned about the uh, uh, the uh, the uh, AAA, uh, the championship uh, PCL uh, champion in Albuquerque. And uh, that did get you that uh, debut opportunity uh, in 1970. And uh, you got a hit in your first uh, major league at bat. You didn't go three for three, like you know another member of your family. Uh, but uh, I've I've got the uh, I've got the research done on that hit. You can go ahead and tell me it was a line drive uh, dead center. Uh, but uh, a hit is a hit is a hit. What do you remember about actually being able to get in the batter's box and to have that experience uh, as a first time major leaguer? That must have been uh, pretty overwhelming for you, Tom. I was very nervous as anybody as. as just as everybody else would tell you to do that. I faced uh, a guy that I would faced in the minor leagues, too, Skip Pitlock. He was actually from Chicago, hmm. and uh, Skip was a left-hander, and I swung as hard as I could. I hit a dribbler down the third baseline. <laughs> yep. I couldn't have rolled that ball down the line any more perfectly than that. <laughs> and I must have ran about a two-flat to first base. And Jim Ray Hart was playing third base, not exactly a golden glove player for ah. the Giants. Right. And so... They would have beat that out, and I did get a first. I get, did get a hit my first at bat. I think that's the way it happened, anyway. Yep, it said nub, nub it a third and uh, base hit, uh, <laughs> and 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 and, and uh, they did say nub it a third. I'm, I'm quoting from Baseball Reference, but uh, and and I guess by the time you made uh, a couple of outs in that game, knowing what your brother did with his three for three, you said, "Well, I guess I'm the worst big league player in my family." Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> You know, the year that you were uh, t- tearing it up there in the uh, out in uh, in California, he had uh, what seventeen home run season in, in Bakersfield. So he was kind of mirroring you at the same time with uh, with his uh, exploits on the diamond. Well, he was playing at Reno at the time. That, that's right. We got to play against each other that uh, that year, so that was fun. Hmm. But yeah, there's a story that I did not want to leave in 1968 the, the Ogden team. Because I was having so much fun, it was sort of was so great, and we we're I was leading the team, I think, in hitting and stuff. Yeah, three eighty six. So, yeah, yeah, okay. And then I was I was sent to uh, a Bakersfield, and Tommy took me to the airport, and I didn't have any luggage, hmm. any suitcases or anything. So I had two plastic Kroger bags, you know, uh, shopping bags. And he looked at me and says, "What is that? He went, what is that? Your Polish stamps tonight?" <laughs> I'm crying. <laughs> 
time. He's never short of a quip. And, uh, well, we also got to credit him, and you'll have to uh, recount the story. He's the guy that gave you the nickname that stuck to this very day. I mean, you became known as Wimpy Pachurik. Absolutely. 1968, we went all, all went out to eat. You know, there's a family atmosphere every day we went to eat with each, uh, together. And we wore out this chuck a place, too. It's $1.98, but that's another story. But the first day, they, these guys ordered steak, I guess, because they got big money to sign. And I didn't. I never really knew what steak tasted like, so I ordered like a double and triple cheeseburger. And from that point on, I've been known as Wimpy. And, uh, uh, you know, people don't, a lot of people don't even know my real name. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it's funny. You think when I mean, you get traded or leave an organization that you'd lose a nickname. No way. Not with me. And it's been, geez, since 1968. That's 53 years now. Yeah. I can't even believe it. Yeah. It has stuck, and, it, and it, it's never going away. You'd have to go all the way back to Hamtramck to find someone that say, hey, there goes Tom Pachurik. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> that's exactly right. <laughs> and, uh, well, your minor league exploits, uh, 1972, you were sporting those minor league player of the year for uh, the Albuquerque Dukes, and, and it was just a situation, and I know a recurring situation as we kind of wrap up the Dodger experience was the Dodgers – uh, every time you were really on the cusp in terms of uh, what the uh, the competition looked like in the outfield, you guys like Willie Crawford, Willie Davis, Manny Motor, and then, oh, by the way, they went out and got Richie Allen. By the way, they went out and got Frank Robinson. By the way, they went out and got Jimmy Wynn. So it always got a little bit more crowded for you just from a competitive standpoint of being able to break through and to be able to stick at the, at the major league level. Yeah, yeah, well, we, and back then, too, Bernie, we used to have to, uh, spent five years in the minor leagues because you'd run out of options, and then they. Oh right, yeah. And I was on the uh, on the team in '73. I and uh, and uh, we, we were. I wanted to tell you this story about what Vince Scully said mm. about the, uh, as I'm in the on deck circle. You know, back in the '70s, it was very little uh, TV. There was none, no TV, so everybody brought their radios to Dodger Stadium. And when you listen to Vince Scully, it was like listening to a great poet. Uh, recite his his works. It sounded you know, his opening would sound something like, "You're you're looking at the azure blue skies, miss the billowy white clouds as the sun comes cascading down in a sea of green at Dodger Stadium." Hi everyone, I'm Ben Scully. So I'm in the on deck circle one day, and I hear Vinny mention my name. So I think I'm going to listen in, and I hear Vinny say, "Well, there's two out, nobody on here in the bottom of the eighth inning. No chance for the Dodgers to." The manager also let for sure at it and save Moda for the ninth. <laughs> I'm, giving him, I'm giving him some bad finger recognition, and I say, and he says, uh, you know, it's interesting to note that Bashorik is making an obscene gesture to someone in the crowd. I wonder who that can be. <laughs> that one batting average he has as he stands at home plate. The next thing you hear is, here's the pitch to Pashorek, and I'll be back with the top of the ninth, right after these words from Farmer John, the longtime post of Kielbasa. And some of that is made up, but part of it is true. But there's enough, of, there's enough truth there to uh, to be able to salt the wounds of young Tom Pachurik. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is just, that that is absolutely killer material. <laughs> well, I told you. 
Vinny, you know, you mentioned Hamtramck, and uh, I ran into Vinny at Dodger Stadium. I was visiting Tommy, and uh, Steve Brenner brought me in the back room and said, somebody wants to see you. Hmm. And I looked at Vinny, and he said to me, Tom, please sure at Wimpy. It's so nice to see you. You know, I remember the first time I interviewed you back in 1973. You got a game-winning hit against the Chicago Cubs. And I had you on the post-game show, and you, I asked you, is this the most important moment of your life? And you said, no, it's when you scored the winning run for the Hamtramck Pony League in the 1961 <laughs> Pony League World Series in Washington, Pennsylvania. And I went, what? Do you remember that? <laughs> so that's the kind of mind that Vinny had. Oh, my God. <laughs> and I, I was like, I went and told Tom, and he couldn't believe it. <laughs> And, and, and that is, and you have you have brought the uh, the evidence here, Counselor, to support why he's the greatest announcer of all time. And it's those snapshots, it's those so signature I my, moments. I spent my whole time trying to impersonate Vinny in the dugout, <laughs> you know, and no one can do it. But uh, you know, uh, everybody tries. <laughs> the the only the only thing worse uh, going to the top of the ninth with the Farmer Johns is if it was uh, sponsored by Kowalski Sausage of Detroit. You know? <laughs> <laughs> At least you were spared that. Uh, got, got to ask you, though, one shining, let uh, me say one, to coin a phrase, shining moment. Uh, you got to play in the World Series. You know, not every, you get guys that can play 20 years and they can never, they might never get the opportunity. And you made the most of that opportunity. Uh, pinch hit, what do you remember? Pinch hit double against the Yankees in the 74 series. Uh, drove in a run in uh, the uh, game six of the final game of the series. Yeah, that was the Oakland A's, and that was Vita. Oh, excuse me, the Oakland A's. I'm sorry. Yep. Yeah, and, uh, boy, they were a good team. Boy. And Vita had a vicious fastball. You know, he threw that high fastball, and nobody could hit. But he, fortunately for me, he threw me a low one. Ah. I, I swung at the first pitch. You know, when I pinch hit for him, I said, I'm getting out of there as soon as possible. And that's what you got to do against the great pitcher. Yeah. You can't sit there and take a strike and see what he's got. Uh-uh. Yep. you got to get out of there. And I swung, he, the ball hit my bat, I got into, uh, I hit a double in left center, and I was, my legs were like shaking and stuff, I know when I got to second base, and I think I scored a run, but uh, we didn't uh, come out on top in that series, we lost four games to one, to a great, great Oakland A's team. Mm. That's right, that was we game. game two, but man, I thought mm. those guys were special, three in a row, mm. that's how they do. Mm. Yeah, they, they somehow, I think, maybe... Uh, have been it's been lost as to just how good that's like my first baseball memories of being a Red Sox fan and how good those Oakland teams were and oh, yeah. uh, Mike and, and all around too the depth of the pitching staff the lineup with you know Reggie and Bando and the guys who were in the middle of that lineup uh just a tremendous a tremendous team that's right it was very underrated and uh you know it, it was just uh you know Dick Green got the MVP of that uh series mm. second baseman yeah on hit Remember that? Yep, that's right. Dick Green, the second, the uh, second baseman, nineteen seventy-four, and, and uh, there was their shortstop, I believe, and uh, yeah, yeah, they were a hell of a team. Yeah, Bert, uh, Bert Camp, yeah, Bert Campanaris, the versatile Bert Campanaris, great shortstop, and uh, and uh, the you, you were the opportunity finally. Uh, ended uh, the 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 opportunity and some of the missed opportunities and some of those star-crossed moments with the Dodger organization. And uh, the next move was uh, to Atlanta, 
and uh, 1976 was your first year in, in, in Atlanta. Uh, excelled uh, in, a, in a platooning role. You hit almost 300 and uh, got to play in a whole different atmosphere down there, uh, part of the uh, Dusty Baker trade that year. Uh, Fulton County Stadium, it was known as the, the launching pad, so I guess uh, by definition you were moving to a better hitter's ballpark for at least uh, half of the schedule. Well, yeah, no question about it. And, you know, I, I like to tell say that I carried the satchel of money over there at Dusty Baker trade. We played Jerry Royster and Jimmy Wynn and myself, and for Dusty and Ed Goodson. Mm. And, uh, you know, that was an interesting experience because that's when Ted Turner bought the team. He managed the game, managed two games as a matter That's right. He was in the dugout for a couple of games. That's right. He was Ted Turner. Mo, Larry, and Curly. somewhat bittersweet over the over the three years and uh you got released and then released again 1978 one of those crossroads moments in your playing career and uh credit apparently to your wife stepping in stepping to the plate if you will to uh to talk you up a little bit there to uh to, to keep on fighting and to uh to stay in the game yeah keep on yeah just keep on uh keep on giving it give it one last chance anyway so I called a good friend of mine, Mel Didier, 
from the Seattle team, and he says, well, I'll give you a trip, job in AAA. He says, okay, great, I'll take it. So I'm doing very mediocre, I'm doing it very poorly, as, and until we go to Albuquerque, which was my stronghold mm. six years earlier, back in 1972. And so um, I had a couple good games. I hit three or four home runs, and they called me to the uh, Mariners. And I was there for a month because Rupert Jones had an appendectomy. So uh, I'm getting Rupert's coming back this next week, and they need a guy, and I'm 0 for 9 at the time. Hmm. So we need a guy to bat ninth in DH against Mike Caldwell. Remember Mike, the pitcher for the left, left yeah. and the pitcher for the Brewers? He won 20 games in a year. Yes. But Mike, one habit, he would throw a first ball fastball right down the middle to get ahead of you and, uh, uh, and then, pitch you, then pitch. So I knew this. I saw four pitches that day, and I hit, went four for four with the game-winning home run. And the next day, Rupert came back, and they released another guy. I, I stayed in the big league eight more years because of that one day. Wow. So I was getting to get released Barry, for the third time in about a month. <laughs> 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 that might be some kind of record. <laughs> yeah, 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 this this cat had about nine lives, this Pachora cat. Oh, you know, I was, I, every time I saw Mike Caldwell after that, Mike, can I get you anything? Can I get you a sandwich or something? He said, get away from me. He didn't want anything to do with it because he remembers the game too. But I was very, uh, very thankful. You know, yeah. it's amazing yeah. when when opportunities done that for me. And that was my uh, shining moment. I mean, we were 20 games out of first place in June and had no chance, but that was the biggest game of my life because it resurrected my career and allowed me to play yeah. uh, uh, a lot better than I had ever played uh, in, in my previous years. Vintage Brand is the story of American sporting culture combining our rich history, traditions, rituals, and pageantry. Weaving together more than a century of American sports memories and images, it defines what tradition really means. Come experience the history and rituals. Remember and honor the legends. Feel the passion and pageantry of the past. Welcome to the greatest collection of American sports history and images, all reproduced on fan apparel and merchandise. Welcome to Vintage Brand.